For the last uh, three months or so, we've been studying the story of Nehemiah. And we've seen a lot of things. We have seen how Nehemiah had a burden to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and how he carried through on that burden. We saw how he and the workers overcame obstacles and opposition to rebuilding the wall. We also saw that Nehemiah led the people to have a reacquaintance with the Word of God. And we saw how that also led to revival and a renewal of the covenant among the people. And then uh, last week we looked at how Nehemiah went about building a strong nation. In fact, at the dedication of the wall at the end of chapter 12, we read in, in verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 43, And on that day they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. That's a wonderful story. The story of Nehemiah is a wonderful story of success if it ended there. But it doesn't. There's one more chapter, and that's chapter 13. Nehemiah had promised the Persian king that he would return to the Persian court. If you remember, Nehemiah worked in his court before leaving to rebuild the wall. So Nehemiah had returned for a time. Then when he returned to Jerusalem, he found something that was surely disheartening. He found the people had abandoned all the promises that they had made to God. All the promises had been violated. He finds that the priests were corrupt. He finds that the tithes had been ignored. He found that the Sabbath had not been observed, and he found that the people had intermarried with foreigners. And what he realized was that their heartfelt and sincere devotion had faded, and the people had gone back to their old ways. Now, it's probably not true that they just woke up one day and decided that, uh, eh, we don't want to do this anymore, and just chucked it all. Probably what happened was it was a gradual slide. A gradual slide away from the promises that they had made. In fact, it was probably a combination of three things. Uh, the first one maybe being neglect. I'm reminded of General William Booth, who was the founder of the Salvation Army. And General Booth said, bear in mind that it is the nature of a fire to go out. You must keep it stirred and fed and the ashes removed. You know how it works. It's a pretty simple principle. If you have a fire going, and if you don't keep putting wood on it, and stirring it a little bit, and cleaning out the ashes, it's going to go out all by itself. It's going to go out from neglect. And the promises had been neglected. And the fire of their passion had gone out. The second thing probably is disobedience. You know, maybe they didn't just blatantly say, no, God, I'm not going to follow you anymore. But it could be something like they knew what to do, but they just didn't do it. And, and that's sin as well, to know what we should do and just simply not do it. That's disobedience. Maybe compromise. You know, in an effort to get along with all their enemies around them, maybe the people just decided, well, we'll compromise here, and then we'll compromise here, and then we'll compromise here. It won't hurt anything, but before you know it, it's out of hand. So compromise has caused them to slide as well. My favorite 
story about compromise is about the hunter who was out in the woods and he was hunting a bear because he wanted a nice warm fur coat. So this large bear comes along and the man raises his rifle. And just as he's about to pull the trigger, the bear, in a very soft, calm voice, speaks up. And he says, well, wait a minute. He said, isn't it better to talk and to work things out than, than to shoot? He said, he said, tell me. He said, what, what, is it, what is it that you want? He said, let's negotiate this matter. Let's, let's find a way to compromise. So the man lowers his rifle and he says, well, he says, I want a fur coat. And the bear says, well, that's, uh, that's good. He said, that's a negotiable item. He says, I only want a full stomach. He said, let's go sit down and talk about this for a while. <laughs> so they go and they sit down and they discuss it and they negotiate. And, and after a little while, the bear gets up and walks away. Alone. Well, they both got what they want. The bear got a full stomach. And the man got a warm fur coat. <laughs> but you see that the compromise, it sounded like a good idea, but it just didn't work out. Compromise when it comes to the things of God is never worth it. So neglect, disobedience, compromise, all of those things, either alone or in combination, work to draw the people away from the promises that they had made. And instead of feeding the fire of their faith, what happened was the fire of their passion and their faith had gone out. So, when Nehemiah sees all of this after he returns, you would think, man, it, it would just be easy for Nehemiah to just say, oh, I was, I was a failure. I was a failure. All that work that I put into this, all of this work, and, and I was a failure. Or it would be easy for him to say, well, <laughs> Uh, I did this once. Once was enough. I'm getting back on whatever mode of transportation got me here, and, and I'm heading back. But that's not what he does. He doesn't see himself as a failure, and he doesn't give up. What Nehemiah does is he goes about setting things right again. He goes about making things right again. I would encourage you to read the whole chapter and, and how he goes about that. But the key, I think, to Nehemiah's attitude is found in a little short prayer in verse 14 of Nehemiah chapter 13. There's similar prayers in verse 22 and also in verse 31. But I want us to look at Nehemiah 13, 14. He says, Remember me for this, my God, and do not blot out what I have so faithfully done for the house of my God and its services. Remember me for this, he says. This sounds... Just on the surface, uh, like kind of a vain request for Nehemiah, but it, it's not that at all. What, what it does is Nehemiah shows us that success is evaluated in the light of faithfulness. Success is evaluated in the light of faithfulness. Nehemiah knows that his successes are not evaluated on walls built and on laws enforced, but rather it is evaluated in the light of his faithfulness to God. And God weighs Nehemiah's efforts not so much by how much he accomplished or did not accomplish, but rather by his own mercy. And in other words, what matters most in the end, not Nehemiah's achievements, but rather his character and his relationship to God. 
That's something that, that we can be thankful for, that, that God doesn't judge our success based on what people would consider accomplishments. And so that sometimes when we think, well, I, I'm a failure at this. No, not if, if you were faithful to God. Not if you carried through with what God wanted you to do. And that's good news for us. For us who are, are, are pastors and who are leaders and, and those who, who teach others and those who are involved in the lives of others that we've tried so hard to help them to turn their lives around. And, and when things don't work out or when things relapse and we say, well, we're a failure. And God says, no, no, you're not. No, you're not. Because you were faithful. You were faithful. You did what I wanted you to do and you were faithful at it. And here's Nehemiah. Here's Nehemiah. He'd done it once and, and Nehemiah's after it again. You know, a lot of uh, commentators look at this particular passage uh, in Nehemiah and, and, and they, they kind of think it's a downer. And I know just some of the sample sermons I, I looked at about chapter 13, they kind of looked at it as a downer as well. I don't think it's a downer at all. I think there's a lot of good things here. I think there's a lot of stuff that we can be thankful for. That was one of them. But there are a couple of other things as well. And that is that for those of us who might be prone to neglect or prone to disobedience or prone to compromise, Nehemiah shows us a realistic view of humanity. We all mess up. It would be no encouragement to me at all, I don't think, if every time I read the Bible, all I read about were people who were perfect, who never messed up. And I would look at that and I would say, everybody in there is perfect. There's no way I can live up to that measure. Nehemiah shows us just the opposite. Nehemiah shows us that people, no matter what they promise, no matter how much they desire to do something, will mess up. Some to worse degrees than others. This story from Nehemiah chapter 13 is about a people who messed up badly. I mean, they really, really, really messed up. It's a realistic story. And in my life, you know, more times than I like to remember, uh, there have been times of neglect. There have been times of disobedience. There have been times of compromise. And I look at this passage from Nehemiah and realize, you know, I, I'm not alone. I'm not alone. But you know what? It's not good enough for me just to read this and go, well, whew, other people mess up too, so I can keep going on messing up. Th that's not the purpose. The purpose is actually something else that Nehemiah shows us that's good news that we can be thankful for. And that is Nehemiah shows us it is never too late to do what is right. It is never too late to do what is right. Nehemiah could have said, forget these people. They're just not worth fooling with. But he didn't do that. Nehemiah knew that it was never too late to do what was right. This story shows us that even for those who mess up terribly, it does not in itself disqualify them from ever having a relationship with God again or from ever serving him again. It shows us that no matter how much you mess up, there is hope. 
and there is forgiveness, and there is healing. And it says to me, don't let what you've done in the past keep you from doing what is right in the presence. Don't ever have the attitude of what I have done is so terrible that there's no way I can ever have a relationship with God again. There's no way I can ever make it right again. Nehemiah shows us that that attitude is wrong. That attitude shows us that no matter what we've done, that there is always forgiveness and restoration available with our God through Jesus Christ. And what matters, what matters is that you begin right now. What matters is you begin right now to renew your walk with God. Everyone falls down at one time or the other. There's scriptures full of examples. King David, the great King David, had an affair. Moses disobeyed God. Peter denied Christ. Those are pretty big things. But you know what? They're not written out of Scripture. Because in spite of what they had done, God used them. And He can use us. And it's never too late to set things right if we have the wisdom to know that we have failed and that we have a heartfelt desire and a courage to admit it and also a desire to take the steps to renew our walk with God. There is a beautiful passage from Isaiah, Isaiah 55, 7, where it says, Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. But he says, Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon. What wonderful news. Regardless of how badly you have messed up, God stands there. If you forsake those ways and come back to him, he stands there waiting to greet you with mercy and pardon. So, when we lapse into our old ways, we need to return to him. But what would be desirable, I suppose, is if we could find a way where we could keep from forgetting our promises, that we could keep from neglecting them, that we could keep away from disobedience, that we could keep away from compromise, that there was something that we could do on a daily basis to feed that fire, to keep it burning and, and burning brightly, that would keep us from getting in these situations. That would be the way to go. So... How do we do that? How do we do that? Well, before we get to that, I, I do want to point out uh, just a passage of Scripture and, and connect it to what we're talking about today. In, in Nehemiah's time, if you remember, they were, were getting back to the Word of God, and especially the law, and, and Leviticus, and, and, and how to return to all of these uh, commands that, that God had given them. But there's, there's a part of Leviticus, it's in Leviticus chapter 6, and verses 12 and 13. It says, The fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. Every morning the priest is to add firewood and arrange the burnt offering on the fire and burn the fat of the fellowship offerings on it. The fire 
must be kept burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. Uh, Leviticus uh, contains the instructions for the burnt offering. And as the word implies, it was a sacrificial offering and the entire, the entire animal was consumed by the fire on the altar and the smoke uh, ascended into heaven to God. Uh, there was dual participation between the person offering the sacrifice and the priest who was involved. Uh, the, the purpose of the burnt offering was to make atonement for the sins by offering a sacrifice and to gain God's acceptance. Now, the one making the sacrifice would lay hands on the animal to be sacrificed and identify with it. But really more specifically, he was uh, identified his sins with the animal. So that when the animal was slain as the offering, as the sacrifice, that animal died for the sins of the one offering it. Now, a burnt offering was not so much to gain forgiveness for a particular sin, but rather to gain a way of acceptance by God. In other words, for the sinful nature of mankind. Not just one particular sin, but just for the sinful nature, that sinful nature that separates us from God. It was a divine solution for fallen mankind's condition. Now, it says here that the fire on the altar was to be kept burning constantly so that sacrifices could be offered. But it also represented God's continual presence in that sacrificial system. Now, why am I telling you all this? Well, as believers in Christ, we don't have to offer burnt offerings. I'm very grateful for that. But referring to Jesus, the writer to the Hebrews, says in Hebrews 7.27, he says, unlike those other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices every day. They did this for their own sins first and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus did this once for all when he offered himself as the sacrifice for the people's sins. Jesus became sin for us when he died on the cross. He died a death once and for all for the sins of the world so that we don't have to continually come back and offer these burnt sacrifices as they did in Old Testament times. But where does the fire come in? In the Old Testament, on the altar, the fire needed to be kept burning constantly. But here's the thing. When Christ comes to live in you, God puts the fire of his spirit inside of us. So there is a fire burning. But that fire is no longer a physical fire on an altar in some temple. But rather, we have become the temple and God has put the fire of the Spirit in us. And we have the responsibility to keep that fire burning. By keeping that fire burning. That's the way we can avoid what happened to the people in Nehemiah's time. Of forgetting our promises. Of neglecting God. Of disobeying Him. Of compromising our beliefs. If we keep that fire burning inside of us, how do we do that? Well, first thing we need to do is we need to make the effort. We need to make the effort. Don't let the fire go out because of neglect. And that's an ongoing thing. That's something we have to do all the time. 
We have to develop a lifestyle of serving others. We have to develop a lifestyle of spending time in God's word. We have to develop a lifestyle of prayer. We have to develop a lifestyle of worship. Not just occasional things. These are not occasional things we do. These are not occasional things we do even during the week. Our whole life should be a lifestyle of worship. Everything we do is worship. We all worship something every day. Worship is not just confined to this room. The way that we live our lives is worship. We are to commune with God constantly. It doesn't mean that we're always just praying out loud all as we go through life, but we are always mindful of that contact that we have with God, of that privilege we have to come to Him in prayer. We have His Word, and His Word not only is something that we read and try to understand, but His Word is something that needs to become a part of us. We need to internalize His Word, not just read it and try to understand it. And then serving others is something we should do every day with our lives. That's a a sacrifice that we offer where we go out and we serve others. All of those things are important, but we have to make the effort. Nobody can make the effort for you. You're the one that has to do it. It has to become a lifestyle. The definition of a lifestyle, I, I love it. It's habits, attitudes, tastes, moral standards that together constitute the mode of living for an individual. An individual. Making the effort to be close to God, to follow Him, to grow in your relationship with Him. All of that has to become a lifestyle, not just something you do occasionally. The first thing was make the effort. The second thing is to make the choice. It's your choice to feed the fire or not. That's what it all boils down to. It's your choice. It's your choice to keep the fire going or it's your choice to let it go out, even if that choice is by neglect. You make the choice to honor God above all else or you make the choice to do what you want to do And what pleases you. But the power to choose lies in you. God gave you that power to choose. He gave you that free will to make the choice. He shows you what's right. And he shows you what's wrong. He shows you what his will is. He shows you what his will isn't. But the choice he allows you to make. He doesn't force you to make a choice. The choice is yours. And you are the only one who can make it. Nobody can do it for you. You wonder, why did Nehemiah remain faithful and the people didn't? I mean, they went through the same experiences together, building the wall. They faced the same opposition from outside. They had the same enemies. They had the same obstacles. They had the same difficulties. They all had the same thing. What made Nehemiah different? Well, it's very simply, Nehemiah made the choice to honor God. He made the choice to honor God. And it's a choice that we're called on to make. I'm going to give you an example of how that works in your everyday life. There's a a passage in Romans chapter 12. And it's a long passage, but we're not going to read all of it, but I think you'll get the idea. And and Romans 12, beginning in verse 9, it says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. That's a choice. That's a choice that you make. You are either going to hate what is evil and cling to what is good or you're going to follow after evil 
and abandon what is good. Those are choices that you make. It says be devoted to one another in love. That's a choice that you make. You have to make a, constant, a, a, a conscious choice as God's people to love other people in your family of faith. You need to make a conscious choice to love people outside of your family of faith. But it's a choice. And it says honor one another above yourselves. That's a choice that you make. You either honor yourself and do what you want to do or you honor others above yourself. It's a choice. It says never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. It's your choice to be lazy in your relationship with God or to have zeal in your relationship with God. It's, it's a choice that you have to make. And it says be joyful in hope. That's a choice that you make. Be patient in affliction. That's a choice that you make. Faithful in prayer, that's a choice that you make. And verse 21 says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's the choice that you have to make. Life is full of choices. Actually, there are two choices. To honor God or not to honor God. And you have to make that choice every day and it needs to be a conscious choice. Because you're going to be confronted with options every day. Options that will lead you to neglect. Options that will lead you to disobedience. Options that will lead you to compromise. You have to make the choice. Am I going to follow God? Or am I going to follow someone else? Am I going to keep my promises? Or am I going to abandon them? Am I going to feed the fire that's inside of me? Or am I going to let it go out? The choice is yours. I am so thankful that we're not alone in this. And as we come to Thanksgiving, we can be thankful for what we have seen here. God doesn't leave us alone in this. God gives us the strength and the power to do it. We just have to be intentional and make the choice. God will not leave us alone in that choice that we make. He will be with us as we go through life. He will give us everything that we need. But we are the ones who have to decide if we're going to keep the fire burning or if we're going to let it go out. I'm thankful for God that he gives me the strength. I'm thankful to God that he lets me make the choice. <laughs> but I want God to be pleased with me that in the end, I made the right choice. Let's pray.